The Sports Career Podcast, episode 323, Four Ways to Be a Great Coach. Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. This week's podcast is a sports coaching masterclass focusing on four ways to be a great coach through creating trust, being humble, storytelling and curiosity. This podcast is with Alistair McCaw, the founder of Champion Minded, Paul Asiente, who's the headsman coach at Trinity College, Dr. Dave Oldred, MBE, founder of Performing Under Pressure, And finally, Dr. Frank Dick, OBE, who is a motivational speaker and coach. By the end of this podcast, you will have better ways to improve your coaching qualities after listening to this podcast by understanding how to build trust with your athletes, being humble, storytelling, and showing curiosity in your craft. So have a listen and enjoy. Part of my journey, and I've been incredibly blessed and honored, Ed, to to spend time alongside some amazing people not just players, but amazing coaches. And some of these coaches are probably people that you've never heard of or never will hear of, but they're people that inspire, they're people that motivate, they're people that do, uh, that coach as a vocation, not as a job. Those are the real coaches. Sometimes, you know, we think great coaches are the ones we see on TV on the weekend, the ones that coach big clubs, big teams. For me, yes, they're good. They have to be good. But the great coaches are the ones that are actually some people you'll, you'll never hear of. They're just making a difference in other people's lives and they're maximizing what they've got. To me, a great coach is not the level that you train, it's how far you can take that level you have. And that's what a great coach to me is. But the seven keys to a great coach, I talk about the importance of your standards. I talk about the importance of having a method, um, the ability to adapt, as we just mentioned, the importance of your fundamentals, investing in yourself, energy, and your interpersonal skills. Those are the seven keys to being a great coach. A big thing in coaching is respect, but uh, likability is also one of the best abilities of a coach. Great coaches are liked, uh, but first and foremost, they're respected. And, you know, if we have a look at, for example, the, the, the situation with Manchester United just recently with Jose Marino, he's a great coach. I mean, his record shows he's a great coach, but, but how do we determine what a great coach is? He was maybe respected, but was he liked by the players and did that help them perform? You know, there's a, that's a very unique situation. So, you know, it's it's a fine line. It's, it's the ability to be respected, but also to be liked as well. Just relating to the listeners listening in who are sport coaches and they want to improve themselves, in your opinion, what core skills do you need to be a sports coach? You need to have knowledge of the activity. That's important. And interestingly enough, in my 42 years, most of the people that I've met that were coaches and pros and teachers have the knowledge. The other thing you need to have, which I've only recently learned, and I have not always been good at this, but now that I'm old, I'm better, um, is you need to be humble. 
it sounds crazy, but if you're going to be a coach, you need to understand that it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the person you're working with. And I think that when you're in a contest, um, you shouldn't know that the coach is even there. But so many of us want it to be all about us because it fulfills a need, whatever that need is, and it's never about us. I tell the players all the time, you have to understand I'm here for you. You're not here for me. And, I, and I've only recently stumbled upon this concept. From your experience, what is the biggest lesson you've learned as a coach after your team has lost? Immediately after defeat or, or anything uh, in life, immediately after not closing a deal, immediately after having a fight with your partner, in that heated moment, no learning goes on. You, that's not a teachable moment. The failure is a teachable moment, but not immediately afterwards. Immediately afterwards, for years and years, I left my players alone after they lost. And what I learned was they thought I was angry with them. So what I do now is when they lose or when they fail, I go up to them and I put my hand on their shoulders just to let them know I'm there for them. Okay. And uh, just tough match or tough game. And then I walk away. Later on, we circle back when they're calmer. And I say, okay, what just happened? Let's talk about it. This is the great opportunity. And that's where the learning goes on. And then it needs to be done repetitively. You know, if you have a little child in the house, no, don't touch that hot stove. You have to say that over and over and over again. Well, same with coaching. Just because you've imparted this knowledge or this wisdom on the heels of the train crash that just happened doesn't mean that they're going to be able to adjust it. All you've done is told them what happened. Now you've got to help them develop the skills or the tools to be able to be successful going forward. And many times that's a large amount of repetition. In your opinion, then, how important is player management during those moments? Player management. Explain what you mean by that. With regards to different characters, you know, people respond differently to losing. If that makes sense. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, 100%. So this is where love wins. You really need to get to know the, your charges. You really need to get to know them, which is why it's so tricky with freshmen and young underclassmen. You don't, you don't have a language built up with them yet. You have to develop a different language for every single person you work with. It's interesting. I, I, one of my dear friends here is Bill Belichick, who's the uh, coach of the New England Patriots, and uh, that's American football for those of you over in England. And um, one of the things he has told me recently is you can't treat everybody the same. And I used to try to, and now I know you can't. You simply cannot treat everyone the same. And in that vein, you need to have a different dialogue, a different language with each person. And that language needs to be based on where they're coming from. Too many coaches say, this is me, you must come to me. I think you need to go to the, to the player or the student or the athlete and communicate with them on their terms so that you get to know them well enough so that you can give them what they need at that moment whether it be um, a hug, whether it be a kick in the pants. But you can't do those things safely until you know what the student... You know, because you change, you, you, you know, and, and I've always been trying to change, and you can do the best session ever. You think, right, I've really nailed it. That was really good. 
two weeks time you'll go actually you know what i could have done and to me that's that is the thrill of it i mean in no two years are ever the same and i'm always looking to get better at what i do not in terms of a dissatisfaction but just a thrill of discovering and often you don't know how you can get better unless you do something and what worries me is that by and large a lot of people spend time looking for the answer instead of doing something towards the answer and then they will have a more clear idea of where the actual target is and, and a lot of people just spend time you know um having meetings after meetings after meetings and this that and the other but nobody does anything and, and, and i'm the other way around i just go straight into it and then find my way. I'm a great believer in get on the train as it's leaving the platform and then look for your seat. Don't look for your seat before you get on the train because the train will go. I love that analogy. Just for the listeners listening in and who aspire to be high-performance coaches, in your opinion, what core skills do you need? You know, there's a friend of mine, Mark Gibson, who is a head pro uh, at Royal Pines, and he, and he won Teacher of the Year Award two years in a row in Australia, which is no mean feat. And on, the, on his desk, he's got a plaque, a, a wooden plaque, and it says, those who dare to coach should never cease to learn. So if somebody asks me, okay, what are the core skill sets? Let's say, number one, have an insatiable curiosity for how you can get better and the the other thing i would say if people are embarking on a sports science degree see where it sits in the overall um if you like map of performance and and don't specialize too early you know don't become oh, i'm going to be a great biomechanics because you won't you won't survive just doing that you, you, and, and I would suggest to anybody, get involved in coaching, no matter what it is, at the same time you're doing your specialism and, and you will find that you'll be able to sit your skill set into the map of performance because you understand, it. you know, whether it's a, you know, under 13 soccer team on a Saturday or whatever, get involved, look at individual skills, look at unit skills, look at how the team performs, look at their reactions when they're getting beaten, look at their reactions when they're doing well, all of that, as long as you really observe that, then you then as you're studying it will start to fall into place and you say oh yeah i can see that now and, and i do worry that sometimes that, that we create this silo effect where people become very specialized but they almost become so specialized they nearly become irrelevant i understand i think you're highlighting a key point that for sports science students or anybody even myself it's the key is about exploring different aspects of the sports industry, especially in performance. Just relating to today's main topic, how do athletes cope with pressure during performance? Well, the, the, the fundamental issue with, with performing under pressure is this uh, tension between process and outcome, okay? And I think the easiest way, to, I, I sort of created this metaphor um, and essentially, if you're going to perform under pressure, you need to be totally immersed in the process and the outcome takes care of itself. Easiest thing in the world to say, but the toughest thing to do. 
Okay, and let me give you an analogy. So let's just say that I've got a group of, say, five five uh, students, mixed students, and I said, right, I'm going to teach you to do a standing long jump, and we're going to do it on a gym mat on a floor. Okay, and of course, the standing long jump is a really good metaphor because. You have to get to the point of no return. You're going to be falling over before you jump. So timing that is really important. You tip forward. And obviously, if you go too early, you jump up. And of course, the idea is to cover ground, not to go up in the air. And you'll play around with it and you'll fall down maybe and you'll leave it and you'll overbalance and so on. But eventually you'll learn the skill. And I'll teach you about flexing your legs and throwing your arms forward and making sure that you jump forward, okay? And everybody would be happy. And I, and I suspect that most people would be able to cover, you know, seven or eight feet, whatever. And some people might do nine or ten feet. doesn't matter, okay? And we're doing that on the gym floor. And I say to you, okay, right, now you can adhere to that process, whatever happens, can't you? And, of course, everybody will go, yeah, 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 yeah. So go outside and there's a puddle six foot across. Would you jump it? And everybody, well, of course we'd jump it because at worst I'll get my heels wet. And everybody jumps in and it's all a bit of a laugh and so on. I said, right, brilliant. Well done, everybody. The, 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 um, the puddle was six foot. Everybody clears it by seven foot, eight foot, even nine foot. Okay, fantastic. Okay. Then we go around the corner and there's two garages next to each other. And the, the, the top of the, the roof is 10 foot off the ground. And there's a gap, six foot. Would you jump it? Now it's a bit, oh, Ah, okay, so here we are. Now you're now jumping with consequence because if you don't get the outcome, you know, it's going to be a little bit of bad news, okay? And you will think through, and I'm going to say, well, I'll tell you what, now this is a difficulty. If you don't quite get this right and jump up in the air instead of tipping forward, looking down on the ground, 10 feet off the ground before you throw your arms, okay, you're going to you're going to fall down anyway because you're going to be short. So that's the tension, you see. And then when you do that, the first time you do it, it'll be, wow, and the heart will be going and all the rest of it and et cetera, et cetera. And then you want to think, well, what's it like to perform under absolute pressure in an international environment, 50-story skyscraper, six-foot gap between the windows, jump. With regards to the work you do then, how do you release this pressure for these athletes, for example, when they're at that high stage? Well, it, it's not a question of releasing pressure. It's a question of managing it, accepting that it happens. Um, and the feeling of pressure and, and the sort of the adrenaline and all of that is a natural reaction. And without that, you're not going to get the energy anyway. So we do want adrenaline to be going around our veins. And you should enjoy it. It should become an excitement, not, a, not an anxiety or a dread. And then basically, it's actually working hard enough and practicing with consequence. So part of our practice to jump the skyscraper would be the 10-foot garage. You know, and, and, you know, you have to start training with consequence, albeit, you know, you can argue, well, a 10-foot garage, okay, it's not quite as bad because you'll fall down and you probably break your leg, right? Skyscraper, you kill yourself, okay? But what I'm trying to get across is it's still consequence and you'll still be nervous, et cetera, et cetera. So once you overcome that, okay, then the skyscraper becomes easier, not easy, 
And then the whole thing about, okay, now I've got to rehearse. When is it? You know, my knees have to be blocking out my shoes as I look. If they don't get to that point, then I know I'm not tipping forward enough. If I don't tip forward enough and I'm actually looking down this big gap before I throw my arms, okay, that's tough. And that's the, the probably the best metaphor I've been able to create to try and illustrate that. And that's why it's process, 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 process all the time. And then then we, we break that down and say, here's a metaphor, right? Let's try and jump three foot, but only off one leg. Do you see what I mean? And then you start breaking out, right? Now we'll do dump three foot off the other leg. We get to four feet. Now put both legs together and all of a sudden you've done eight feet. So there'll be a lot of things like that. And then the, 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 the crucial part is, and I've got this term earned confidence, is you have to keep data in training and practice. And most people don't. What core skills do people need to be a sports coach? I find that a really difficult uh, question to, to answer uh, in, in, in terms of condensing it, because I think you have to be an awful lot of things. I mean, I think it starts off above all else is uh, you better have the skills to be a leader. You'd better be a leader. And when I speak to the world of the, co- the corporate sector, I have to I say to the leaders in there, you'd better be coaches. Because the, the whole the, the central function of a leader is to make sure that their people are prepared and supported in doing their jobs. And so there's kind of a, 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 a balance, isn't there, between the two things. You must have the leadership qualities in order to become a coach. So that's your starting point. Uh, next is you'd better be pretty hot at setting visions and values vision in the sense of whether it's a purpose, why we're doing things today, whether it's the big picture, what what are we trying to achieve in life and so on. And make sure, uh, you've got to have the capacity to make sure that whoever you're influencing is in agreement with what these things are, that they are clear and that we all buy into that. We've got to engage, to engage with that because that's related to what I think are the two fundamental skills that a leader should have. A leader must be able to teach and a leader must be able to sell. You can teach the head, but you have to sell to the heart. The next part about that is, is of course, values. I said vision and values. You've got to be able to set down your, your, your sense of discipline and your highway code, your rudder, your rudder and compass to take you on where you're going. And the people that you're coaching and influencing, they must buy into that too. And as a coach, very early on in terms of personal discipline, in terms of that, I think you, you, you have to buy into the idea of um, what you accept is all you can expect. If you accept 85% on the training track, don't expect 100% in the arena. You'd better tra- you'd better set your standards high and live by those standards. Okay, so that's that's that, that's the second area. The third the third one, you'd better be a communicator. I mean, if you can't communicate, don't go into that game at all. And as a, a little um, uh, coaching point to anybody who wants to become a coach or, or wants to pursue a career of a coach. Learn how to tell stories. Learn, learn how to cr- 
create mental pictures for people. When it comes to the technical side of what we do, very often you're trying to use words to describe the kinesthesis of movement. It's what in a word um, makes sense. Years ago, I worked with a young lad called Cameron Sharp, very good boy, Um, European silver medals in 200 meters, gold medals in the Commonwealth Games. And Cameron, when he started off in his 200 meters, I didn't get the feeling that he was really kicking off the bend and so he could come off with a bit of momentum and cruise down the home straight. And so I used to use the word, Cameron, you've got to drive off the bend, drive off the bend. But a guy called Don, and, and it still didn't work. Trust me, it didn't work. A guy called Don, Don, Don Quarry, you may know, Olympic gold medalist uh, in, in, in 200 meters, he um, was, was with me one day and he said, no, it's the wrong word. Think of lifting off the bend. And the moment I used the word lift, Cameron lifted lightly off the bend and phew, it changed his whole race. Now, why did I get the word wrong? The moment you, t- you use, use a word, you've got to remember that words mean things to people, movement things. And when you say something like drive, they think of pushing into the ground. That is long contact. But if you think about sprinting, the only time you have long contact with the ground is at the start. As you fly through the race, it's a very light and a very short contact. And so if I was asking him to drive, I was asking him to do exactly the wrong thing at that particular point of technique. And so a coach has got to understand that words mean things and get the right words. And as I say, we'd better communicate. Next, you'd better be pretty hot at planning and strategy. And as uh, you may have heard me saying before, uh, coaches don't plan forwards, they plan backwards. You've got to know where you're going, otherwise you can't plan your journey. Um, As John F. Kennedy said, if you can't imagine it, you can't do it. Um, I think that's critical. You've got to have a very clear picture of where you're going to and then ask yourself, well, if that's where I have to be, let's say for the Rugby World Cup on the 2nd of November, 8 o'clock in the evening, in Tokyo Central Stadium. If that's where you have to, if that's where you have to be, then where do you have to be six weeks before that, in order for that last step to be, step to be possible? Then what about six weeks before that? Then six weeks before that, till you come back all the way to where you started, and you're constantly then realigned with where it is you're trying to get to, and what the next step is in order to achieve that. The next one, the fifth one, is what I would, it, it, it's in the United States military, they call it the OODA loop, O-O-D-A. Um, observe, orientate, decide, and act. And out of that, let me pick out two critical things for us. In, if You must be able to be strong in your obs- observation skills. You must look for things, but you must see things. You must listen for things, but you must hear things. And once you've got that in, then you, you orientate. The orientate is putting into context. What does this mean? What is it that I'm hearing and seeing? What does it mean? And then you make a decision. And, and then, of course, you take your actions. But the decision part within UDA, the observation and the decision is critical. You have to be strong in your decision-making skills. Next, in terms of skills, is probably attitude no ones. You've got to have an agility. You've got to have a resilience. You've got to have the ability to, to adapt because the world outside there is changing before you at every moment. 
um, as this, again, as they say in the military, no strategy survives first contact with the enemy. You can have the best plans in the world, but out there, you've got to have that mental agility that will identify an issue and resolve it straight away. So that OODA loops going faster and faster as you go through life out there. But the other two critical qualities to have in there in terms of mental skills is patience and persistence. Moving on, you'd better be hot at the structures, systems, and, and so on that go on, that they're a part of coaching. In other words, be organized. Next, you've got to be able to create an essential tension with the athlete. The way the picture I have of that is imagine yourself as the circus ringmaster looking up at the, the top of the, the, the big top, and the athlete that you are coaching is walking is going to have to walk across the high wire. There's an essential tension in that wire for them to make progress. And the tension is specific to that particular athlete. And the tension is created between challenge at one end of the wire and support at the other. If there's too much support, the wire slack, they go nowhere. If there's too much uh, challenge, the wire snaps and they go nowhere. Getting that balance is absolutely right. Then my final points in all this, you'd better be good at dealing with pressure. You better have the skills to handle pressure because it will come from everywhere. The pressure of the moment, the pressure of the press, the pressure of this, that and the other. You better be cool at handling that. And finally, above all else, you better be curious. You better never stop asking questions because the journey to being a great coach is a never-ending one. I really hoped you enjoyed this week's podcast, particularly if you have a real desire to improve your coaching qualities. And I just want to say, please make sure you check out the full show notes where you can get access to all the podcast interviews with Alistair, Paul, Dave and Frank. So I promise you, you'll learn even more relating to their sports career coaching journey in how they've become great coaches in the coaching industry. And then finally, in the show notes, I share my latest new sports career newsletter where I'll be sharing the behind the scenes of the qualities you need to be a sports industry professional, whatever industry you have a desire working in. Really check that out and sign up as well. And then finally, what's really important, just now you've listened to this full podcast, how are you going to put it into practice? So I've got an exercise for you where I'd like you to really pinpoint the one learning lesson that you've taken from this podcast episode and apply it to your coaching methodology and really put it into practice because that's how we grow. So that's the only exercise I have for you. Make it happen and just do it. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote. This is from Paul Asiente. You need to be humble if you want to be a coach. You've got to understand it's got nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the person you're coaching.